Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Access Podcast. We are so happy to have you with us, and thank you again for tuning in. Right now, we're going to be talking with Bobby Bogard on today's episode of Tough Conversations. Well, hey, welcome to the Access Podcast. It's Pastor Jake. We're going to be doing a podcast today entitled Tough Conversations, and we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. I have a good friend and mentor, uh, Pastor Bobby Bogard, with me today. And we're going to dive into this conversation. So, hey, Pastor Bobby, how you doing? Hey, Jake, it's great to be with you, and uh, I'm honored to be on the Access podcast here. Talk about uh, spiritual gifts today, and yeah, I've known Pastor Bobby a long time. Uh, he was the executive pastor here. What year did you start? 1991. So a year before I was born, <laughs> <laughs> and. I've known and looked up to Pastor Bobby for a long time. He and my dad have known each other for a long, long, long time. Long time. And and in recent years since I've gotten into ministry, I remember the, I think I was a year into ministry and when you came back to Grand Rapids and you took me out, I think we went to Qdoba and it's been an honor to really get to know you, be under your leadership and now you came out with your book and and. I ordered. I'm ordering that today. Actually, awesome. I just saw it on your Instagram that the pre uh, pre orders are starting. So, yep. in your book on leadership, and so for those that don't really know you, why don't you just tell people a little bit about how you got into ministry? Maybe like a a snapshot of kind of how you got started in the ministry and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah. So I was raised in a broken home, and um, uh, my mom was actually in her fifth marriage, and uh, my stepdad's twin brother was the pastor of a little church in Desark, Arkansas, called Gospel Mission Church. And uh, it was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel. Hmm. And uh, they had a very on-fire youth group there. And so I went with this youth group. They were going to do a meeting. And on the way to the meeting, everybody was talking about sharing their testimonies. And I realized I don't have a testimony. So I pulled the leader aside uh, at one of the rest stops, and I said, hey, does everybody have to share a, a testimony? Of course, he knew I was lost as a goose, <laughs> and uh, he said no. But uh, a week later, after that meeting, we were in a Wednesday night service, and, man, God captured my heart, and I've never been the same since. We went to Christ for the Nations, graduated from there. Uh, we're classmates with Pastor Dwayne and uh, Pastor Doug Bergsma. And uh, so Dwayne went to Mexico, and we went into youth ministry. And um, when he came back off the mission field, they invited us to come up and be a part of the team here. And so we started in 91. Uh, From the 13 years we were here, we planted uh, 13 churches throughout the state of Michigan and uh, started what is now known as LINC, LINC International Network of Churches. We have about 45 churches in our organization. And... uh, so that's uh, kind of how we came to be here again because we were finishing up a season in Dallas uh, at Gateway Church and they invited us to come up and kind of take over the network and give some leadership to that. So how long have you been in ministry? I've been in ministry 45, 45 years. So yeah. most of those years were in, can I label them, Pentecostal charismatic churches? Exactly. Yep, so, I was raised in what I call charismania. Charismania. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had all the, the, you know, fruits and nuts and flakes. Yeah. Yeah. 
We've so seen it all. <laughs> I can imagine in 45 years that you've seen a lot of uh, interesting phenomena in the church, and and really that's what we want to dive into is is I grew up right in at Res Life, and Res Life is charismatic, uh, not totally charismatic in the sense that you're going to see totally odd things, but I've seen people fall over. I've seen people be slain in the spirit, right? Speaking in tongues. I've seen people do things that I grew up with, and so I never th- saw them as abnormal or odd or weird or anything. But as I've grown, and I went to a, a dispensational college, Grace Bible College, and I started to discover, and right now I had friends in high school, that, whoa, like most people think what's happening is really, really weird. Yep. And then as I grow up, and you pastor, and you see people, and then they have these experiences, but then they don't change, and you start asking yourselves, is that God? And I think that's the tough conversation that we want to have is biblically and in your experience with 45 years of ministry, how do we go about uh, viewing and, and applying spiritual gifts in our lives and in our churches and our groups in a way that honors God and moves us forward with our walk with Christ? And so um, as we kind of enter this conversation, uh, what are, do you have any initial thoughts on spiritual gifts and how you've seen them play out in, in, in your life? Well, first of all, I think we need to understand there's, there's a Godhead made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so those three entities um, of God, we have a relationship with each of those entities. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, so most churches don't have any issues with God the Father and God the Son, but it's when it comes to the Holy Spirit and uh, some of the extremes that people go to in that relationship with the Holy Spirit that kind of sets people off and sets people, you know, um, aloof from even thinking about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. But when you, when you step back and you begin to look into Scripture, you look into history, uh, and you begin to see the, the work of the Holy Spirit— then it makes you more comfortable to welcome him into your world because you understand the Holy Spirit's to lead us and guide us into all truth. Yeah. So when, when we think about, so can you connect with us the Holy Spirit's role in applying spiritual gifts to our lives? Okay. So in 1 Corinthians uh, ver- chapters 12 through 14 is where we have the dissertation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, Some people call them charismata. uh, Other people call them spirituals. um, And if you note that that the gifts are plural, there's there's nine gifts that are recorded there, and they are nine uh, spiritual empowerments, if you will, that the Holy Spirit gives individuals to fulfill the mission that God's called them to. Hmm. Matter of fact, can you, can you, you repeat that? Yeah, I think that's the emphasis. I think that sometimes we miss exactly because where where the gifts get messed up is because we think the gifts are about us. Huh. But the reality is, the empowerment of those spiritual gifts are so that we can fulfill our mission to reach and impact the lives of others. And so, if if for example, one of the gifts is a word of knowledge, uh, that's an ability to uh, have an insight into 
a person's situation that you wouldn't normally have. And so why would God give me a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom? It's to help you understand maybe the context that you're in or impart to you some keys that will help you um, either get out of the situation or apprehend the opportunities that God has for you. And he gives those gifts to us to help one another. So where do you see then, where do you see the misstep in church culture where we get these experiences that, that are maybe not God working, but it's flesh? Like, how, what do you think leads to that? I think uh, like, really there's two extremes in uh, the misuse of the Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, there's abuse of the gifts um, where um, people would use the manifestations of the gifts to uh, either usurp their will or, uh, you know, create opportunities for them that are totally built on their world. Built, it's you know, pride. It's to, just... Yeah, exactly. It's I want to use this gift to show that I'm something or I want to use this gift in order to open up doors or control situations. Hmm. So when people say, you know, God has said, well, how do you argue with that? I mean, if, if God said, how are you going to argue with that, right? And so really, uh, there's an abuse of the gifts. And then the other side of it is when people are beginning to develop their relationship with the Holy Spirit, they may misuse the gifts uh, just out of a lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, lack of experience. And so I think those two extremes are what put people off as far as, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, for, for you know, at, with a young adult group, we have, we have a lot of people that come from different backgrounds. We have, we have people that come from unchurched upbringings, people that grew up at Res, so the charismatic movement, other people from other Pentecostal or charismatic churches— we also we we have a, a lot of young people who grew up whether it's uh, Christian Reformed or RCA or Catholic, and so those can tend to have a differing uh, perspective when it comes to the gifts. Some call it like a cessationist view, which the gifts have stopped and or they're very rare. And so, how would you go about uh, communicating the? the really what where we stand which is that gifts are for today how would you gently as a father you know communicate that to, to a young person yeah uh, you know when you look at church history cessationists they really um, land there with from two one of two perspectives either number one is first um, corinthians 13 when it says when that which is perfect is come then other things will be done away with. And so um, their thought is that when Scripture was canonized, mm -hmm. that there was no longer any need for the gifts of the Holy Spirit because we had the canonized Scripture. Or they will look at it from the aspect of uh, when the last apostle died. So you had the apostolic foundation of the church, and when the last apostle died, then again, there were no need for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So there's no need for miracles or healings or prophecy or tongues because it's sufficient. 
Yeah, because we have the canonized scripture or we have the apostolic foundation from which to build on. The problem with that is that when you begin to look through church history, for example, in the 20th, uh, from the 20th century to the present, you think about uh, the Pentecostal revival with Charles Parham. Uh, you've got the Azusa Street Revival. We can even go back uh, as far as Justin Martyr, uh, who was around from 100 to 165, uh, second century. He wrote a he wrote a uh, a piece called Dialogue with Trophy. I think it's what it's called. But it, in it, he says, "For the prophetical gifts remain with us even to the present time." Another quote in that book says, "Now." It is possible to see among us women and men who possess gifts of the Spirit. You come again into um, another writing, Against Heresies. Uh, It says, In like manner, we do also hear many of the brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who, through the Spirit, speak all kinds of languages. Others still heal the sick by laying hands upon them, and they are made whole. And so if you look back through church history, you can go from uh, the end of Acts to the present day, uh, if, if it's in the Great Awakening or if it's in the Welsh Revival. In e- any move of God, you can go back in history and you can find writings and you can find testimonies of the gifts of the Spirit, whether it's prophecy, whether it's healings, whether it's words of knowledge, words of wisdom, so the gifts have always been in operation since the very, you know, release of the gifts in Acts. So how would you, you're, you mentioned 1 Corinthians 13, that, that which when perfect comes, you know, it says tongue, is it say tongues will cease, right? I don't know what, what the exact verse is. See if we can pull it up. But so how would you then view that teaching? What is that referring to then? If the cessationist view is saying that's when the Bible was canonized and or the apostolic foundation was laid, how would you view that scripture in its context in 1 Corinthians 13? Okay, so I I think uh, that it's referring to um, the actual return of Christ. That's when the culmination of all things take place. And really, in one sense, the, the gifts of the Spirit are what has been already fulfilled in heaven that God kind of releases and gives back to us in the present time. Hmm. Um, And so, um, again, because history documents the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they haven't ceased, then I don't think that you can come back to that and make that a pivotal point, especially on one scripture. Because when you take scripture as a whole, you see the move of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, which is Old Testament prophets. And Old Testament prophets, they spoke in, if you will, the word of God as it was given to them. And so the the Old Testament prophets, I mean, they were held accountable because if they missed it, they were stoned, right? Yeah, that's and and so they actually spoke the actual content, if you will, of what God wanted to communicate. Old Testament prophets. Then you come to the New Testament apostolic fathers, and they, again, were setting the foundation of the church. And so in the beginning, uh, up until Acts chapter 2, 
you know, you have the, the ministry of Jesus, and then Acts chapter 2, you have the birth of the church, and then in the birthing of the church in the first uh, few years of the church becoming into existence, you have the apostolic prophecies, which again were uh, the content that God wanted to set in place. They were foundation pillars of prophecy to establish the church. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so out of that, then, of course, uh, history tells us that they came, they canonized what they felt like was what God was really saying and establishing. So we embrace that as the inherent word of God. So it's without question. Okay. Now, take today, though, we, we prophesy in part. You know, from after the foundation was laid by the apostolic brethren, then now we prophesy in part. And matter of fact, if you look at prophecy or if you look at any one of the gifts, it says that those gifts are imparted to us by the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. as he wills, as he purposes. And so uh, you have this inherent uh, communication with the apostles that they carried through their apostleship, but then you have ministry gifts that are given to believers to carry out their mission and, and help and bless others and preach the gospel. And so those things we kind of do in part. So I'm, I'm a little leery when someone says, yea, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> right? For me, I'm like, ah, I'm going to pause there, and I'm going to make sure I check this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Because we're not the, ap the apostles setting the foundation. We're not the Old Testament prophets speaking the actual content of God. What we are now is we are believers and we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and sometimes the Holy Spirit wants to use me to bring the gifts of healings to someone's life hmm. or the gift of miracles, right? And so in that as, con as he wills. Yeah, in that context, he comes and says, hey, Bobby, I want to use you right now in this moment, and so I'm going to release you the gift of healing, and I impart that gift of healing, and a person gets healed. I've had it happen. I've been, you know... Uh, sometimes we have people come up for prayer. I can remember one specific incident. I had a lady came up. She had three large um, cysts on her neck, and she was asking for prayer. I laid my hands on her, and all of a sudden, I mean, again, I'm not, but to be honest with you, I'm not really expecting a whole lot. <laughs> but the gift of the Holy Spirit came and anointed me, and those those. Um, sis dissolved while I was praying. I mean, I felt her neck come back into alignment. And of course, she, then she gets the testimony that she's been healed. And so the Holy Spirit works with us to bring about God's purposes. Now, I don't carry the gift of healing. I'm not a healer, all right? I'm a believer, and I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if he wants to use me in the gifts of healing... That's his prerogative, and that's my opportunity to be used by him to bless others. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I can get on board so, with that. Okay. You know, I grew up here. I, yeah. I, lo I love the gifts. As I, as I look at something, I wanted to just go through a, a list. So 1 Corinthians 12, um, some of the gifts that we see in here. It's, it's just so interesting to me because so many people like, we we are like debate and argue and wrestle with the gifts, but 
most of the gifts don't have to actually, they're, they're not dealing with supernatural activity, or at least mm. some of them, mm-hmm. right? You have the gift of administration, discernment. You have, uh, in Romans 12, it's exhortation, it's giving, it's leadership, it's mercy, it's service, and it's teaching. And then there's, right, there's sprinkled in gifts that are supernatural that the charismatic church really likes to, to, to prop up and celebrate, which isn't a, a bad thing because it can give glory to God, but that's where I think some of our cessationist friends look at that and say we're, we're cessationalizing or are we being so sensational that it can sometimes celebrate the individual instead of God, which I don't think we do um, at all. But then you have the gifts of healing, so you have the gift of uh, miracles, prophecy, tongues, tongues of interpretation, words of knowledge, as you mentioned earlier. And so as you, as you think about all the gifts, which is Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, you even have Ephesians 4 when you talk about the apostolic offices. Mm-hmm. How, how do you think through the supernatural gifts versus, versus what we more would consider natural gifts, like hospitality or encouragement? Yeah. Well, let me, let me say this, first of all. Along with cessationists, we have continuationists. Yes. And they are a segment of believers that believe the gifts of the Spirit continue, but there's not a complete understanding or uh, understanding of how to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit for those gifts to be imparted. And I'm speaking mostly to the charismatic gifts, okay? Um when you look at Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 talking about what some refer to as maybe creation talents or giftings, ministry gifts. Some people call them ministry gifts. Mm-hmm. In other words, we were born with them, right? Th- those are gifts and talents that we were born with. I have a talent given to me in creation of administration. And so my relationship with the Holy Spirit enables me to be um, more effective in my gift of administration because, again, he leads me and guides me into all truth. Uh, He testifies of Jesus. Um, He brings all things to my remembrance. Those are some of the things that the Holy Spirit does. And so in my my, uh, creation gifts, if you will, then the Holy Spirit empowers me to be effective in those talents and giftings that God put in me. Even before, you know, while I'm being shaped in my mother's womb, God is imparting those gifts to me. So you're saying that's Romans 12 is referring to like the, DNA the, gifts the, yeah, the, as opposed to more of the, you're saying, charismatic gifts. Exactly. In I think there's 12. a distinction between those. So you have... You have the ministry gifts or the office gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are impartation gifts. Then you have the, the uh, creation gifts or talent gifts or ministry gifts that are given to us. And then you have the charismata or the supernatural gifts. These, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that charismatics refer to are supernatural in their release and in their function and so if i'm thinking about speaking in tongues that's a language that i don't understand that's a language that comes to me by the holy spirit and it passes the normal understanding that i have Mm -hmm. now 
Most of the time when you have the gift of tongues, you're going to have the gift of the interpretation of tongues. Because if I'm just speaking in tongues, I'm not prophes- I'm not helping anybody, right? You're just helping yourself. Yeah. But if the tongues are interpreted and they're made clear in the language that's being spoken um, and heard by the people, the indigenous people of that language, then it becomes a comfort or an exhortation or a building up. Now, Paul says, you know, all speak in tongues, but I would that you would prophesy. Why? Because if I prophesy, I'm bypassing tongues and interpretation of tongues. I'm just going right to the message. Okay, and prophecy, again, is for exhortation, comfort, uh, to build up. It's not necessarily to speak about the future. Hmm. So, uh, or you take the revelation gifts, you know, the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, uh, or you take about the... Uh, discerning of spirits or those type of gifts all of those are supernaturally empowered by the holy spirit in a given moment as he purposes Hmm. so that again so that we can help people it's not so that i can prophesy it's not so that i can lay hands on the sick it's not so that i can discern what spirit is in the room no it's so that the holy spirit through me because i have a relationship with him through that relationship, then I can now help people that God sends me to. And um, it's, it's amazing and it's fun when you have that kind of relationship and you begin to see uh, the Holy Spirit help people through you. That's what makes Christianity alive and have purpose rather than just going to church and listening to messages. So... You, I have two questions. I'm going to hit this one first because you mentioned it. And this is a genuine question that's not on our notes and not on the pre questions that we have kind of written out before. It's a genuine question that I've had for a long time, and I don't know if I've ever it's ever been answered thoroughly. Why is it in, in the charismatic church, specific in America, we emphasize speaking in tongues for the edification of self but we almost rarely see interpretation of tongues practiced in the church. We'll see prophecy, we'll see words of knowledge, we'll see words of wisdom, but I've almost yet to see anyone really address interpretation of tongues, and it seems very clear that's one of the nine nine gifts. Exactly. Well, first of all, let me me say this. Part of it, I think, is uh, in the early days, at least of charismatic ministry, because I was a part of that in the early 70s, and maybe even some in Pentecost, uh, Pentecostal churches, there was a there was a uh, teaching that when you received what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of you receiving that baptism of the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. And um, so, and 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 there's some case for that because if you look at the five particular incidences that are recorded in the book of Acts where people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and those were interactions with the Holy Spirit after people were saved okay so it wasn't a one-time package that you get when you were saved you take for example when Philip was down preaching and uh, people were being saved they were being water baptized and then the news gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem, and they send apostles down to uh, the region where Philip was preaching, 
And when they came, the Bible says that the people began to receive the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with tongues. And so you have Acts chapter 2, you have Acts chapter 9, uh, 10, 19. You have five places in the book of Acts. In, in three of those, it specifically says that they spoke in tongues. In one, the incident I'm talking about uh, when they came down to Philip's area where he was preaching, where revival was happening, Simon the sorcerer saw that through the laying on of hands that they were speaking in tongues, right? Um, or saw that through the laying on of hands that the gift of the Holy Spirit was given. And so what did he see? And so, and then Acts 19, uh, where uh, Paul's preaching, and they say, hey, we've never even heard of, you know, we've just been baptized with John's baptism. We've never heard that there be any baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so out of those five cases, you have three specific times that the Holy Spirit was uh, poured out. Uh, so at, that would be Acts 2, and um, I believe it's Acts 9, and then Acts 19. And then you have the incident where Paul received the Holy Spirit. You know, when he was going on the road to Damascus, he gets saved. And then Ananias comes over to his house. He lays hands on him so that he can receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't say Paul spoke in tongues in that particular situation, but then Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, right? In 14, he says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So we know that he spoke in tongues sometime after he was filled in Acts chapter, um, I'm getting all my numbers mixed up here, but anyway. When, yeah, when, yeah he when, he was, when he was laid. Received his sight. Yeah, when Ananias laid hands on him. Sometime between then and 1 Corinthians 14, I mean, he started speaking in tongues. So there was this teaching that you received the baptism when you spoke in tongues. But now, when you, when you look back and you look at the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's given to us after we believe. It's a gift that God gives us. And when God gives you a gift, I, I've never seen any requirements attached to that. And so I particularly have the stance that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to speak in tongues, but we're not required to speak in tongues. And we can function in the other gifts as, uh, as fluent and as readily as anybody else that maybe speaks in tongues. Uh, it's just that we have the opportunity. So I'm getting a little off track here. So you no, have that the— a great, That was a great— I think set up for a lot of people who have questions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that's a, you know, that's a topic that is is misunderstood by the younger generation, yeah, uh, because they've they've, you know, heard other teachings and other other things, and that was a, a great tangent that I think helps set up the the conversation on the interpretation yeah. side of it. So, so the opportunity to speak in tongues though is there for every spirit filled believer, and there's the gift of tongues. And then there is the tongues that you receive when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says there's times that we don't know how to pray like we should, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession through us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I believe that is a gift that God gives us as Spirit-filled believers to pray in the Holy Spirit and to make intercession for things that maybe we're not cognizant of but the Holy Spirit is because he knows what God's will is. He knows what God's plan is. 
And so when I pray in an unknown tongue, I'm not praying to, you know, uh, edify anybody. I'm praying to uh, put God's purpose and plan into play in ways that I couldn't by praying with my own understanding. Yeah. Then you have the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues, again, like I said, needs to be exercised in tangent with the interpretation of tongues so that it has purpose. And uh, now early on, if you go to charismatic churches or you go to Pentecostal churches, you can find in those situations that you're going to have some people that will speak out in tongues in their services, and then there'll be a pause to wait for the interpretation. Um, That used to be more prevalent than it is now, but I think part of that is because as churches have grown, uh, everything needs to be done decently in order. And so if you have a congregation of 2,000 people and everybody starts speaking in tongues and prophesying, then it doesn't help anybody in the room because it doesn't, it's not able to fulfill its purpose. And so we see a lot of exercise of tongues and interpretation of tongues in small group settings and things of that nature where it has uh, a better opportunity to function properly. That, make, that makes sense. If I can just kind of restate what you had said, just make sure I'm, I'm following. So it still happens. It's a gift of the, of the Spirit as He wills. And maybe the reason why we don't see it as much is because it needs to be done in order. And as churches are grown and they're, uh, we're attracting unbelievers, we want to make sure that our services are in order. And But we should still encourage believers to practice that and be open to it as we're in small groups, as we're in smaller settings, and be open to the, the, the gift of tongues and interpretation. Exactly, because, um, you know, you think about even prophecy. How many services have you been in lately where someone speaks out in prophecy and prophesies to the congregation? Uh, again, this is mostly predominant in, in larger churches like Resurrection Life Church, uh, where you have thousands and thousands of people. I think it just it prohibits the—not that it couldn't, uh, because you can still be in an environment, and if the gifts are in operation— um, you know, it could be handled in an appropriate way. For example, um, when we began to uh, grow here at Res Life, uh, we had people that we knew operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we asked them to come and submit it to the service oversight pastor. And so they would submit the word to the oversight pastor, and if the, the pastor judged the word, um, as appropriate, then we would release uh, that person to take a mic so that everybody could hear the prophecy or hear the tongues and interpretation, and then the congregation could be edified. Again, because in that context, you know, the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit has to be for the congregation at large. Otherwise, like Corinthians says, you have an unbeliever that comes in and they hear everybody speaking in tongues, and they're thinking, man, these people are crazy. <laughs> uh, and God's not crazy. You know, God does things decently in order. God does things with purpose. And so we have to be cognizant of the, the, and the awareness, the self-awareness that the gifts of the Spirit are for the benefit of people, not for us. 
I keep coming back to that. I'm going to pound that in because, again, I think that's what leads to the abuse and misuse of the gifts is because we, we look at it as being for us and not for the people that we hmm. serve. So I want to ask you this question. What happens if someone right, is operating in the spiritual gift of prophecy and they get a prophecy wrong? You know, that happens. That happens. and Because uh, you mentioned the, earlier the Old Testament, if you get yep. a prophecy wrong, yep. you get stoned and you're donezo. Exactly. Because in the Old Testament, you couldn't judge the prophet's word. Okay? You, we can't judge the apostolic foundational prophetic word because we've canonized. The, the reason we canonized it is because we recognize that as the content of God's oratory and communication to the body, right? Hmm. But now, as believers, I prophesy in part, and my prophecy can be judged. That's why he tells us in Corinthians... I've never heard it put that way. This is good. Yeah, in Corinthians, he tells us, you know, that the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. In other words, prophecy now has to be judged. And so if wow. I give a prophecy that's wrong... You're taking me to school right now. Um there should be someone mature enough in the congregation to say, hey, hold on just a second. Now, I've actually had to do this in services where I've had to stand up. Someone's given a word. I've had to stand up and say, uh, brothers and sisters, we honor the ministry of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the gifts are to be judged by those uh, that are mature in the room and if we look at this word, it doesn't fall in line with, you know, the purpose in, of that particular gift or something of that nature. Now, you do it with grace. Thank God we have grace. Amen. Yeah. And so we can grow and develop, and, and we're going to miss it sometimes. We're developing our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we don't hear him completely accurate. And so that's why I say we should never say, thus saith the Lord. If I'm going to give you a word, Jake, I'm going to say something to the order of, hey, Jake, I really believe and sense that uh, I'm hearing God say this, but I want to just submit it to you. And so, again, by submitting it to you, I allow you to judge it. And if there's others in the room, I allow them to judge it. And then through that affirmation, then the word can become relevant and alive to you. You know, as you're, as you're saying this, it makes me even think about the need or the necessity of community and almost a church family account, like in order to actually practice the gifts. It's almost like that's the way God set it up is that the gifts aren't supposed to be a bunch of strangers walking in a room, you know, and you just zip off some words, pray for some miracles. It's like, no, it's actually supposed to be for a family. It's supposed to be for people who love, serve, and have given their lives to love each other. And in doing so, we're open to God's working through us and if we get it wrong much like if i have a family member who's just thinking some sort of crazy conspiracy theory i just go hey yo guys like <laughs> that's not right you know in the sense of when you have somebody who maybe just gets it wrong it's not it's not it's not immoral to be wrong in taking a step of, of or a risk in the gifts i just love the way you put it it's about it's the family it's the accountability it's the let's do this together and instead of just it being like a mystic mystery there's actually order in family in in accountability to this whole kind of pursuing 
the gifts that God's given to the church. Yeah, exactly. When you think about Paul talking about false prophets, you know, there are false prophets among us, mm-hmm. and without judgment, without, um, you know, scrutiny of the words that are being given, false prophets can come in unaware, and by a seductive false spirit can deceive many people. And uh, that's why it's important to be submitted to spiritual authority. Again, that's why it's important to be a part of community, is because in that context, then we have the safety of moving in and having a relationship with the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to use us to help others, and at the same time be instructed and coached and, and helped to perfect the gifts that God gives us. Now, that only comes through experience. It comes through deepening your relationship with the Holy Spirit. We, I think somewhere in the, the pre-questions we talked about, you know, you know can I prophesy better or, or use yeah. the gifts better can I grow if, I'm, if I'm growing in my faith? And I would say no. I would say no, because you don't earn the right to exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're faithful, whether you're, you know, uh, reading and praying every day for 10 hours, that doesn't qualify. What qualifies you is that the Holy Spirit decides that he wants to use you in a given situation, whether you've been born again for 10 minutes or spirit-filled for 10 minutes or 10 years. I remember right after I received the Holy Spirit, we're in, we're in this uh, revival meeting, and they've asked me. I'm like six months old in the Lord. I'm still like in Deuteronomy, right, uh, yeah. reading through the Bible. And I'm up there giving my testimony about getting saved, and this guy that was totally drunk walked into the back of the room, stood up, and began to challenge me. And I'm like a novice, right? But the Holy Spirit starts bringing to me scriptures out of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And by the end of our conversation, that guy's getting saved. Wow. Not because I've earned the, or qualified myself to be some spiritual man, but because the Holy Spirit came and helped me in that moment wow. to bring salvation to this guy. So it's not a matter of how much faith you have or don't have. The Holy Spirit wants to use you uh, at any time and given point to, again, like I said, help others. That's, that's grace. That's what it's about. Wow. So. For the benefit of the church and other people. Yep. Well, this has been an amazing. I, I've been taken to school. Thank you. I, I've Seriously, you answered some questions that I've had and, and helped me even think through specifically the prophecy and why in the Old Testament, I've never heard anyone. I've listened to Sean Bowles talk about prophecy. I listened to Chris Valentin talk, and I've never heard that perspective. It wasn't challenged in the Old Testament, and now we're supposed to. So thank you for sharing that. I don't. I, thank you. That's really helped me, and I hope it's helping anyone that's listening to this after. So uh, we're going to wrap up here. So do you have any any just kind of parting thoughts to to young people who are desiring for God to work through them uh, in any one of those gifts? Here, here's my parting thought. Okay, and that is to recognize that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Hmm. And so in our worship, 
even in reading the Bible, uh, lean on and lean into a relationship with the Holy Spirit because he wants to help you fulfill the purpose and plans that God has for you. Whether it's the created gift that he's given you from the foundation of the world or whether it's a supernatural gift that he wants to impart to you in a given situation. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will never make you do anything that you don't want to do. The Holy Spirit's not going to take your tongue and make you speak in tongues. So you don't have to speak in tongues. But you get to if you want to because the Holy Spirit's there as a part of the Godhead and we can have a relationship with him. And when you grow in that relationship with him, you become more attuned to his voice, his way of doing things, and he's able to enlighten scripture to you in a greater measure. He's able to lead and order and guide your steps and your thoughts as you work alongside other people. And so I would just say, understand, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor Bobby, thank you for that, and thank you for this conversation. This is the Access Podcast. Hopefully you can share this with someone, and we'll see you next time.